Welcome to another exciting episode of the Opportunity Zones podcast. Listen in as your host, Jimmy Atkinson, invites industry leaders to share their best OZ insights and investment strategies. From market updates to fund launches, policy news, tax mitigation strategies, and more, we cover it all here on the Opportunity Zones podcast. Welcome to the Opportunity Zones podcast. I'm Jimmy Atkinson, and joining the show today is Zane Beatles, Vice President at Mercatus Partners, which is a private real estate investment company that specializes in multifamily acquisition and development. Zane is joining us today from Newport Beach, California. Zane, how are you doing? Welcome to the podcast. I'm good. Thanks, Jimmy. It's good to be here. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Zane, uh, good to have you on the show today. So to start us off, who is Mercatus Partners exactly? Can you tell us about who you guys are and what kind of work you do in the Opportunity Zone space and a little bit about your business model? Sure. Yeah. Uh, Mercatus Partners is a young company. We're a little over three years old. Uh, We were started uh, as a partnership with a multiple family office, a registered investment advisory group uh, to really act as the direct real estate investment arm of that company. So uh, anytime that group uh, allocates funds toward a private real estate investment for their clients, that money comes to us to invest on their behalf. Uh, which is uh, a great relationship for us to have. Um, We just recently started going outside of that network to source uh, investment capital um, and, and, uh, you know, want to grow that and, and uh, offer our services to others outside of that group. Um, It's been interesting. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, My partner comes from the institutional LP space uh, and we work with some of the best sponsors and developers across the country. Uh, We just enter those, those projects now on a different side of the capital stack uh, instead of writing 30, 40, 50 million dollar LP checks uh, from his previous group. Uh, we write two to five million dollar checks uh, as a, a co-GP partner on projects, um, which has been a, a great benefit for our investors in our commingled funds. Uh, we run two conventional commingled funds so far and two opportunity zone funds. And uh, like I said, that really acts as our co-GP capital. So uh, we're able to come in early uh, with those those sponsors and developers. Uh, we, we mitigate some of that GP risk by working with who we feel like is the best uh, groups that will get projects done on time and on budget. Uh, they'll be able to source uh, LP capital. They'll be able to source debt, um, uh, which you know gives our clients a boost. Uh, they get to participate on a little bit of that carried interest when a project does well, um, and then gives us a good pipeline. Um, so that's that's our uh, our fund uh, side of things. But this uh, our business model we call it kind of a triangle of uh, mutually beneficial relationships. Uh, we have our funds and and our clients that uh, come through those funds again get to participate on the GP side of the capital stack, uh, get to realize some better returns when those projects do well. Uh, we also uh, will syndicate or raise LP equity for certain projects uh, and really the projects that our partners like the best, the ones that they want to hold longer term, uh, that they don't want to be at the mercy of an institutional LP uh, when when uh, push comes to shove and, and they get some uh, more control over projects. And uh, so 
we that allows us to go out to single family offices or high net worth individuals that want to pick and choose their deals. And now they get access to deals that normally would only be going to institutions. Uh, so that's another benefit for those people. Uh, and then for the sponsors and developers that we work with uh, by us coming in and, and helping out with their co-investment piece uh, on that co-GP side of it, they get to spread their money around to more projects and do more deals. Uh, and then again, for the projects that they like the best, uh, we can help them source LP capital from uh, longer term minded private investors, uh, particularly on the OZ side of things. You know, these projects are 10 year projects to, to realize all the benefits. Uh, a lot of institutions don't really care about tax implications or, or worried about uh, the gains that they may have. Uh, which can handcuff a project, um, you know, particularly that long of a project. Um, so again, uh, you know, benefits everybody because uh, it's flexible, longer term, longer mindset capital. Uh, and uh, everybody, everybody uh, sees the benefit in that business model. Yeah, there are some big benefits to opportunity zones in general, big tax benefits and uh, big social impact benefits. And, and now, you're extending that to the uh, benefits of this particular type of business model that you have uh, in this triangle, and those three sides of the triangle being, correct me if I'm wrong, but the the co-GP share of things, which are the investors in your fund, which are typically uh, your, your very high net worth uh, family office clients as part of your multifamily office. And then you have a second uh, set of investors, which are single family offices and other high net worth investors coming in in LP equity. And then the the third side of the triangle being the developers and the sponsors of the projects that you do a, a thorough job of vetting so as to minimize that co-GP risk that you're carrying. Did I summarize that all right? That's it, Jimmy. You got it. Uh, one other thing that I'll say is, uh, you know, those two, the the, the capital in our funds and then the capital that we go out and syndicate or or raise for for LP uh, on particular projects uh, th those can get crossed up too those are kind of commingled uh, we give our investors in our funds uh, kind of the first look at projects that we syndicate or that we raise uh, the LP on as well uh, give them a head start to kind of raise their hand um, so you know that's another benefit for our fund investors uh, that they get a pipeline of, of uh, projects that uh, you know if if they want to to allocate more to a particular project, they'll have that opportunity. Got it. That makes sense. Uh, well, I want to come back to Mercatus Partners and learn a little bit more about your fund and the locations that you like in a moment, but wanted to back up and get a little bit of background on you, Zane. If I understand, uh, this is your second career real estate investing. So you can tell us a little bit about uh, your background, what your first career was all about, and uh, how you got involved with real estate and opportunity zones. Sure. Yeah. Um, so my undergrad's actually in mechanical engineering. I thought I was going to be Tony Stark when I grew up and and uh, <laughs> you know, live live that kind of lifestyle. Uh, but I, I also played football in college, uh, and uh, through that college career, uh, what you know gained uh, some some good following and and had the opportunity to go on and play professionally. So. Uh, I have actually never worked as an engineer. Uh, I got drafted out of college and went on and played uh, nine years in the NFL. 
for the Broncos, Jaguars, 49ers, and Falcons uh, across those nine years. Um, all the while through that football career, uh, knew that, uh, you know, business was the direction I wanted to go when I was done. Uh, I wasn't totally certain, but I, I liked the private investment world. Um, and, uh, talking to some of my friends that were working for Lockheed Martin or Boeing or some of these companies that I had envisioned myself, uh, you know, sitting in their cubicles, working on a bolt for, a a, a bomb for three months, uh, didn't, didn't sound as fun to me as, uh, it, it originally did when I envisioned being Tony Stark. So, um, again, you know, knew I wanted to get in the business world. Uh, when I retired, I went back and got an MBA just to kind of expose myself to different areas of business, uh, confirmed that the private investment world is where I wanted to go. Um, and, uh, through that, I had always been interested in real estate, uh, love real estate in general. Uh, I started out as an LP investor in commingled funds. Um, when I retired, uh, I did a few projects myself, uh, some small vacation rentals, um, small, uh, you know, two to three unit, uh, technical multifamily, uh, you know, uh, rehabbing pro uh, projects and, and renting them out. Um, so I, I had done some smaller projects on my own, uh, but knew this is the space that I wanted to get, in get into. And, uh, you know, coming up on three years now in, in the space, uh, just loving the direction and, and very happy with how things have transitioned for me. Got it. So you're working on very small deals uh, when you first uh, started doing real estate investing yourself. And now you're working on much larger de deals and uh, syndicating uh, or allocating a lot of capital at the same time as well. W what about opportunity zones? When did you first learn about opportunity zones? Uh, maybe either you personally or as a firm, uh, however you want to answer that question, when yeah. did you make that transition into opportunity zones? Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I had uh, been exposed to it in the late 20 teens, uh, like most people, uh, I was involved as an LP in a project myself, um, that much of it was in an opportunity zone. Um, and, uh, the, the phases that were not in the opportunity zone sold off. Uh, and that was my first time investing in an OZ project was, was, uh, uh, taking some of those gains, uh, and rolling them into some new land and some new projects, uh, associated with that, that project, uh, as a firm Mercatus partners, uh, um, OZ was not something that we necessarily set out to do. Uh, it was a solution for a few of our families uh, that are associated with the multiple family office uh, that we work with. And they had some qualified gains that they wanted to take advantage of the OZ program. Uh, so we started a QOF for them. Uh, it was three or four investors and, and uh, it ended up being uh, just under a $10 million fund. Um, and we went invested, invested that 10 million across three projects, uh, for that first fund, uh, two of them, we still hold one of them. Uh, obviously the business plan was to hold for 10 years, but we got an offer, uh, on, on a small development in Salt Lake city that we, uh, that we built and leased up and operated for about a year and, uh, just could not pass up the, the offer that we got on that. Um, so we actually sold that project uh, here just a few months ago. Uh, but again, that was our first foray. Uh, we're on to our second OZ fund now. Uh, it's still open for commitment and investment. Um, we're at about $20 million in commitments to that project. And, and that project has closed on five projects so far. And we have two or three others in the pipeline right now. 
Um, so, uh, you know, this is, has become a, a big piece of our business, um, while, while us not having, you know, really set out for it to be, um, and, uh, you know, I think we'll get into kind of OZ in general, um, which will kind of explain why that has taken place. But, uh, you know, I think it's a great program and, and, uh, the projects that we've been able to, to, uh, get into have just been phenomenal so far. So excited yeah, about well, the business. Yeah, I'm excited about your business as well. And I'm glad uh, we have you on the podcast today, especially if you're going to be doing more work in Opportunity Zones. Always great to uh, uh, meet and, and get back together with with folks doing Opportunity Zone deals all over the country. Tell me more about the fund that's open right now, what you can tell me about it. You mentioned it's got five projects currently closed. You're working on a couple of others in the pipeline. What asset types are you doing? Uh, doing construction on, I mentioned in the intro that you guys specialize in multifamily. So I imagine the vast majority, if not all of it is multifamily. Uh, and then also which locations are you focused on? Why do you like those locations? Absolutely. Um, yeah. So this, this project, those five uh, projects that I mentioned that we closed on in that fund so far, uh, all of them are in the Tampa Bay area, uh, four of them being in downtown Tampa. Uh, and then one of them being in downtown St. Petersburg, just across the Bay there. Uh, Tampa is one of our target markets, uh, has seen huge growth, huge run up in rents, uh, over the past couple years. Um, um, and thankfully so, uh, because some of our development projects may not have penciled uh, had had rents not kept pace with uh, the costs of materials and construction these last couple of years. Um, but the, the majority of those are multifamily. Uh, the the St. Pete project is a 19 story multifamily high rise with some ground floor retail. Uh, the, the projects in Tampa are two large, uh, mid-rise 300 plus unit mid-rise projects, uh, a smaller kind of workforce, uh, multifamily project. There'll be around hundred units or so. Uh, and then actually the, the fifth project in that fund is, uh, a, uh, exciting, pretty cool, uh, redevelopment of a, an old historic warehouse, uh, that will become kind of food and beverage retail concept with some office over the top. Um, we, this, this project in Tampa, um, we're part of the general partnership of a 30 acre master plan, um, that, uh, we already, uh, are started construction on the first phase, which is a 317 unit multifamily project. Uh, and then these next four, uh, that are in our OZ fund here are, are following, uh, quarter three, quarter four of next year, uh, is where we're anticipating starting construction on those. Um, but that, uh, that warehouse is going to be, uh, really cool. It's going to be the heart of this master plan, uh, big area to gather people, um, there'll be a public park across the street. So, uh, this, this area is going to completely transform. Uh, it's in the, the historic Ebor city neighborhood of, of Tampa, uh, which is very, uh, you know, culturally diverse and, and just has this character and history to it that can't be replicated. So, uh, we're very excited about how, how this one will come to be. Uh, and then you asked about, um, you know, where we focus on in general within our business. Uh, we invest across the country, uh, again, with, uh, top tier developers and sponsors, uh, as our partners, uh, most of the time. We do some small projects uh, ourselves, uh, just direct, uh, but the majority of our stuff we partner with. Um, but we have five main target markets, uh, and it's really you know not much different than what a lot of people talk about in multifamily industry. You know, high growth, high in migration, uh, good job stories, uh, low regulatory, low tax, uh, but 
particularly high quality of life. Um, you know, we want all those pieces, but then we want a market that uh, has extra reasons for young professionals that, you know, are really the target market for our, our urban infill multifamily projects. Uh, and those five markets for us are Salt Lake City in the West, uh, and then Nashville, Charlotte, Raleigh, North Carolina, and Tampa in the East. Um, so we focus on, on those markets and, and try to have the majority of our investments be there. Uh, but for the right uh, story or for the right partner, uh, we do invest outside of those pro- those uh, markets as well. Sure. Uh, so talking more about markets and, and locations, is there any different consideration given to OZ project location compared to conventional project location for you? Um, yeah, so, you know, we, we try to be very diligent and vigilant uh, on that location. We're very location based anyway. Uh, you know, we start with the market, uh, but then, you know, we drill down even further and, and we're very selective in the micro location within our markets as well. Um, looking at OZ, you know, I, I think uh, landowners uh, saw the potential of their OZ parcels uh, and land prices uh, uh, reflect that. Um, you know, so I, I, uh, I think land prices can be a little bit more expensive, uh, for OZ projects. Um, but we are, are very focused on not doing OZ projects that don't stand on their own. Uh, we don't want to do an OZ project just because it's OZ and there's tax benefits and, uh, you know, those sort of things. Uh, we want to do a project that is just a great project. And then the OZ benefits, uh, you know, not only for the community, but then for for the investors and and the the tax deferral and uh, you know the 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 no cap gain tax on the at the end of ten years, all those sort of things are just kind of the the cherry on top. Um, again, we're we're very hyper focused on location. Uh, if the location of an OZ project is is not already great. Uh, we need to be confident in the path of growth and see that this project or that this location is going to transform over the next 10 years. Uh, obviously, OZ being 10-year holds are, are very long-term focused. Um, so, you know, we we do consider that uh, when we evaluate a location, uh, but we need to be able to see that path very clearly um, for us to feel comfortable and, and uh, be good with a project moving forward. Uh, and then one of our uh, kind of anecdotal or, uh, uh, you know, unofficial ways of uh, evaluating a location is is we we go walk it ourselves always. Uh, we get a feel for it multiple times uh, uh, during the day and during the week. Um, and, and really, we want to have a project that we feel like, okay, would one of our mid to late 20 female renters feel comfortable walking around this location at night? Uh, and, and, uh, if the answer is yes to that locate to that question, uh, I think we can feel pretty good about that location. Yeah. I think that's a pretty good, uh, rule of thumb <laughs> to keep in mind when you're doing site selection. Can you talk about some of the deals that you may have passed on? What, what you didn't like about them? Yeah. You mentioned before, you're not just going to do an OZ deal just because it can be an OZ deal. No, yeah. Uh, one of them uh, particularly that comes to mind is a recent one we passed on in Long Beach, California. Um, you know, Long Beach has some some uh, fairly good OZ uh, areas, uh, but, you know, it's really block by block. And uh, we, we were working with a, a partner that had uh, this site under contract and um, go visit the location. 
and it, it was crazy really um you know one block to the west and you're on a great street that has a great feel to it uh one block to the east and you're kind of in a transit corridor right next to a light rail station uh which you know normally would both be be great things uh but it, it was kind of weird just like right in this micro location there's a lot of parking lots and uh you know it felt like you were a mile away from all that stuff. Uh, and there was potential for path of growth. There, there's a, a, a master plan, a big redevelopment that's going on just to the south of this site um, that, you know, really made us take pause and dig deep and, and make sure that we, uh, you know, we're understanding the potential of this site. Uh, but we, we couldn't get comfortable with the fact that, you know, we were very confident that this project to the, to the South that would transform the area for us, uh, would be able to get built, um, you know, just regulatory entitlements, things of that sort. And then just the current economic climate that we're in and the uncertainty moving forward right now, we just couldn't get comfortable with it. So, um, you know, we, we ultimately took a pass on that deal for, for those reasons. Uh, but it, you know, those, those things are kind of long and hard and, uh, we have to take uh, some some very good time and and really reflect on that, uh, you know, because, you know, it, it had the potential to be a great project. Uh, but again, that that location piece for us just came down to it. And we we're just like, you know what, we uh, we talk about this all the time and, and we need to have conviction in our location and we just can't get there on this one. So we need to take a pass. Yeah, I wanted to revisit the, the Tampa uh, projects that you're working on in your open OZ fund at the moment. A couple questions there. I guess I'll start with the the warehouse that you're taking over. That's one of the, it sounds like that's one of the few projects that's not gonna be ground up construction. Uh, wh what are you doing with that warehouse exactly? Are you transforming it into a different type of property or is it gonna remain a warehouse or what's happening to, to uh, that? The, exactly? the, fa the facade will, will remain. Uh, it's cool red brick. Uh, anybody that has been or seen Ybor City, uh, it, it's a, a very cool place. It's this red brick, uh, wrought iron balconies. Um, Ybor City was one of the, the first Cuban settlements in the Americas. It had a number of Spanish and Irish uh, factory workers. It became the center of cigar manufacturing for a number of years. Um, so just a ton of history and, and really cool feel to it. Uh, and like I said, this this warehouse is red brick with uh, kind of Spanish Cuban style architecture. Um, so so we're you know, we're not going to change the feel of it. We, we want to uh, expand on that uh, and, and, you know, just bring it uh, new life. Um, right now, the plan is to do about uh, 200,000 square feet of office over the top of that warehouse, uh, over the top of the portion of the warehouse. Uh, and then a portion of the web warehouse will be uh, redeveloped to food and beverage retail concept. Um, you know, kind of think of kind of like a food hall type uh, experience. Uh, we'll be having a, a trolley stop go in uh, basically right in front of the warehouse. Uh, we're working on a community park just across the street uh, that will kind of be the center of this master plan that we're involved in. And uh this uh, food hall, food and beverage retail concept. Uh, we've we've got uh, pedestrian paseos between projects, and so it's going to be a really activated, walkable uh, location that uh, it, you know it's going to have office for for you know really become that eighteen hour 
location uh, with with bodies living there and and uh, you know live work play type environment. Sure. Uh, I also want to talk with you about one thing you mentioned a few minutes ago is that you know the the point of your OZ projects is to create impact in the communities and also uh, impact for your investors, right? So I want to get back to that impact for the communities part. Oftentimes, opportunity zones are thought of as impact investments. And I'm not trying to make the claim that you're trying to say that you're an impact investor or that your investors have any sort of impact investing mandate. But the fact of the matter is these are equity investments, capital investments in communities that are typically underinvested in oftentimes. How do you view opportunity zones in that light? And then what kind of impact are you creating in these communities? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think uh, it has taken some time uh, for the Opportunity Zone program to prove out the intention uh, and kind of show the impact that it that it's having. Um, but I think you're starting to see that, uh, you know, thinking uh, this Tampa project again for us, um, you know, Ybor City in the early 1900s was this thriving uh, location that, you know, had great culture and, and great feel and, and was a place, uh, a, you know, a tight knit community. Uh, and through the, the middle of the century kind of fell into some disrepair and, and, you know, kind of really changed as a location. Um, it, it's always been a, an entertainment district, uh, but it's, it's, hasn't been a place where people, uh, live or work really. Um, you know, there just hasn't been that concentration of people, uh, or office space, um, and the desire from people to live there or from companies to, to locate there. Um, so, you know, this particular project is going to really revitalize Ybor City. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to say we'll return it to its former glory, uh, because it, you know, it, it, it was what it was and, and you can't, uh, replicate that. What I will say is I think that it will, uh, revitalize and, uh, bring a new phase, uh, to the area and hopefully for, for many years moving forward. Um, you know, it, these types of projects, uh, you know, not only do they create jobs through the construction, uh, through the redevelopment, um, but, uh, you know, it, it uh, can can be a good thing for uh, the people living in the area. Uh, like I said, you know, we're going to provide housing in an area that hasn't had housing for a long time, uh, which is, you know, a big deal. Uh, we, we voluntarily as well on these projects, uh, set aside 5% of our units as affordable units. Uh, that wasn't a requirement for us, but again, you know, OZ and, and uh, having a project of this scale and size, uh, we wanted to show that that was a consideration. And, and you know, we, it's important for the workers that, uh, you know, are, are working in the area or, or working in our retail, our, our uh, you know, uh, office, you know, all those things uh, that it's important for there to be housing for those people as well. Um, so I think that's, uh, you know, a lot of the, the, the good things that can come from it, obviously the tax benefits and, and things of that, uh, from investors are, are a big deal, uh, and probably the biggest catalyst. I don't think anybody can, uh, deny that or, or would refute that. Um, so obviously those benefits are, are self-explanatory, uh, but I think people can feel good about the fact that they are, uh, transforming neighborhoods, um, that, you know, otherwise may not see those investment dollars and, and realize the, the positive impact that uh that comes with it 
Yeah, agreed. Agreed 100%. Uh, well, in our last few minutes here on the podcast today, Zane, I wanted to get your general thoughts on opportunity zones and how, how specifically do you view the brief history of opportunity zones as it's unfolded over the past several years? And and how do you feel about the space now and where we're headed? Yeah, no, I, you know, I think, uh, again, it was a bipartisan piece of legislation. Uh, I think everybody uh, got on board with the potential that this program uh, could could, uh, you know, the impact that it could have into the future. Um, you know, I, I think it was tough early on. Uh, the way the legislation was written uh, left, uh, you know, a lot of doubt or uncertainty across many things. Uh, and and I think what, uh, what that did is it, it took some time for this program to really gain some momentum. Um, you know, for us, uh, working with consultants uh, that that we deem to be experts in the OZ space, I think it took them a, a, a few years to really get comfortable and have conviction in the uh, advice that they were giving, uh, you know, not understanding how the IRS was going to view a, a certain aspect of it or, uh, you know, just some uncertainties around timing and, and just all the different pieces that you have to deal with in, in OZ uh, and manage. Uh, I think it took them a, 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 some time to get comfortable with it, which in turn trickled down to, to groups like us, sponsors, developers, uh, you know, investment groups, um, couldn't really have the the conviction and, and the full comfortability because the consultants that we were working with didn't have the conviction and the comfortability. Uh, I think you've seen that really start to change over the last 18 to 24 months. Uh, and then not only, you know, individual investors learning about the program uh, and understanding that this is an option for them and, and what the benefits could be for them. Uh, but again, the comfortability and, and the knowledge uh, being able to give solid advice and have conviction in that advice for investors. I think it just took some time, you know, uh, but I, I think, uh, again, over the last 18 to 24 months, you've seen a lot of momentum, uh, not only because of these pieces and the understanding of the program and and uh, the benefits of it and and making sure that, you know, you're comfortable and, and uh, know that you are uh, in alignment with the requirements. Um, but, you know, there's been a lot of gains uh, over the last couple of years as well. Uh, which even further, I think, added uh, gas to the fire, to the OZ fire, if you will. And um, so, you know, I'm excited about where the project or the the uh, the legislation is at now, and, and the potential of of the uh, the platform to move forward. Uh, I know there's a bill in uh, both the Senate and the House now to extend the program by a couple of years. I think the understanding is is that you know it took some time for this thing to ramp up and and get going, uh, but I think everybody's really starting to see the benefits now uh, on on all sides of it. And uh, so I hope that legislation gets passed. Um, you know it. it by the like you mentioned, by the time uh, this uh, podcast airs, you know that that uh, may have changed. It may have already passed at that time. Um, but um, uh, you know, again, it's bipartisan, and uh, I hope it even goes further than just the two years they're looking to extend it right now. Um, you know, real estate's a long, long-term, uh, long mindset game, and uh, you know, I, I think this uh, legislation, you know, could be very beneficial for cities and, and opportunity zones far into the future um, with the momentum that it's gained uh, thus far. Yeah, well said, Zane. Couldn't have said it better myself. And uh, yeah, for our listeners and viewers, we are recording this episode 
in mid-December. So I'm not sure when this is going to air, if it's either going to air uh, toward the end of this year, or the beginning of 2023, but it's, it's possible by the time it airs, as they mentioned that the legislation will have already passed. Hopefully, hopefully hope it does. So. Um, yeah. But if it doesn't, maybe it's uh, right around the corner sometime in 2023. If, if, you know, given that momentum that opportunity zones has over the last, uh, you characterized it as 18 to, to 24 months, I think. And, and especially if the legislation gets passed and hopefully that's, the first step in the process for this program getting extended over and over again and maybe being made permanent or at least semi-permanent uh, at some point down the road. How do you feel that momentum will impact what you guys are doing, your efforts in Opportunity Zones as we head into the new year and beyond? Uh, I, I think it will just uh, you know, further our conviction in the program. Uh, and and continue to to build that side of the business for us, um, you know. When that happens, and and people see, uh, you know, this bi- bipartisan support for it, uh, again, I think the the comfortability and and the the knowledge of this being an option for investors just continues to expand. Uh, and you know, I, I think you'll have more and more people seeking these types of projects out. And, um, you know, I think most people in, in the, the real estate world know, you know, it's really hard to make projects pencil that aren't, uh, you know, class A uh, projects. You know, there's, there's definitely some, some different avenues you can out there to have out there to, uh, you know, m- mitigate some of the costs and, and make, make projects pencil that, that aren't that way. Um, but, you know, Again, the long term here uh, and, and the housing shortage that we have in this country, uh, this, you know, I, I think this legislation has the potential to really help uh, alleviate some of those issues and concerns. Uh, and, and again, you know, long term, these 10 year projects, um, they, they turn into that workforce housing eventually. Um, so the long-term impact, uh, you know, it, it just starts to compound on itself. Um, so again, I, I'm right there with you. I, I, I hope that this continues to get to, uh, to be extended and, and uh, you know, having it be a, a permanent piece of legislation would be, was, would be great as well. Yeah, that would be great. We just got to keep uh, calling our senators and congressmen and telling them why it's important and, Hopefully uh, the message gets through and this thing gets passed sooner rather than later. Well, Zane, we're almost out of time. Uh, I mentioned that we are recording this uh, mid-December. We're we're coming up on the end of the year. Your alma mater, Utah, is headed to the Rose Bowl. You and I are both big college football fans. What do you think about Utah in the Rose Bowl game, heading back for a second year in a row, this time up against Penn State? How are you? Yeah. How are you feeling about that? Very excited. Uh, this season I had huge expectations for Utah coming into the year. Uh, stubbed our toes a few times, uh, unfortunately, and and uh, the playoff, uh, the college football playoff, uh, is not an option. Uh, and it wasn't even looking like the Rose Bowl was going to be an option. Uh, we kind of backed our way into the Pac-12 championship game with uh, some fortuitous events. Uh, but, uh, you know, in that game, uh, had a, had a phenomenal game against USC, uh, really just beat them down, uh, which was fun to see. Uh, and, and, uh, I'm excited to, to see what Utah does, uh, last year against Ohio state in the Rose ball was a phenomenal game, uh, with a poor outcome for the Utes. Uh, so I'm hoping that, uh, they can turn things around this year and, and, uh, get the, the program's first Rose bowl win uh, in history would be phenomenal to see. 
Absolutely. Well, good luck to to you and the Utes, of course. And uh, one more question before we go, Zane, if we have any listeners or viewers out there who maybe they want to talk Utah football with you or they want to learn more about Mercatus Partners, uh, what's their best avenue for reaching out and learning more about you and Mercatus? Yeah, uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, Zane Beatles on, on LinkedIn. Uh, our website, you can gain some information uh, about our company on the website, MercatusPartners.com. Uh, and then my my uh, email as well, Zane at MercatusPartners.com. Uh, happy to have a conversation with anybody uh, that's uh, just wants to talk shop uh, or, or, you know, some anybody that's looking for uh, OZ opportunities. Uh, we, we like I said, we, we have a good solid pipeline that we're excited about. Um, so uh, happy to have those conversations. Terrific. And of course, as always, for my listeners and viewers out there, I will have show notes available for today's episode. You can find those show notes at opportunitydb.com slash podcast. And there I'll have links to all of the resources that Zane and I discussed on today's show. I'll make sure to link to Zane's email address, LinkedIn, and the Mercatus Partners website as well. And please also be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube or your favorite podcast listening platform to always get the latest episodes. Zane, again, pleasure speaking with you today. Great to meet you. Thanks so much for joining. Absolutely. Thank you, Jimmy. It was a pleasure. Uh, hopefully somebody, uh, you know, even if they just get one bit of information from today that helps them make good decisions, uh, you know, that then today's a success. So again, thank you. Absolutely. Thank you, Zane. That's it for our show today. A huge thank you to you, our listener. If you like this episode, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The Opportunity Zones podcast is produced by Opportunity DB. You can access our show notes by visiting opportunitydb.com forward slash podcast. And we'll be back soon with another episode. 